Well, on Friday night, Solari took me out to the theatre. I like saying that, theatre. Uh, we went and saw Come From Away. Has anyone seen Come From Away? Yeah, a few of you? How great was it? Oh, now, if you, has anyone heard, not heard of Come From Away at all? No, not at all? Yeah, a few people haven't heard of it at all. Well, it's about the story about a town called Gander in Newfoundland. No one's ever heard of it because there's only 9,000 people that live in Gander. And Gander was, it became known because it's got an airport. And when 9-11 happened, um, all the planes that were still in the air that were meant to come into America were diverted to Gander because they had an airport. 38 planes ended up landing in this tiny little town in Newfoundland in the tip of Canada, sort of like on a little island sort of space, just in, in the middle of nowhere. Unbelievable. Over 6,500 people ended up in this small town, not having a clue what's happened on the ground in America, so they didn't know what was going on because they are just on planes, not having uh, a clue where they actually were. So they just become refugees in this tiny little town that's all of a sudden swelled from 9,000 people to 15,500 people, nearly 16,000 people. Unbelievable. Can you imagine that? If, if we were a town and we got, say, 300 people, and all of a sudden another 200, and, or, 200 or so people came into the, to the church, and we're going, we didn't bring enough lunch for the extras. What are we going to do? And, and, and this, this, this play um, enacted this... Uh, it went through all the emotions and all the... But, but it, it, it sort of depicted these, how the people of Gander sort of banded together and, and said, we've got to get some, some pillows. We've got to get some food. Let's start making some sandwiches. We've got to do all this stuff. We have to get it happening. And so they selflessly and generously accepted the people into their homes they fed them. They gave them blankets. It's an incredible story of solidarity. And I have to admit, uh, inclusivity is something that I'm, I'm pretty keen on and pretty big on. And so every time something would happen where someone just embraced someone else, regardless of nationality or race or culture or whatever, it just sort of twinged my heart just that little bit. It was an incredible story. And so clever as a stage show, because there's only like 10 people in the, in the whole show, but they just change around. Incredible. Have a, if you can, go and see it. If that's the sort of thing you like to see, go and see that one. Because uh, we've seen the, the big ones, the, uh, um, the Aladdins, the, wow. But this was just something about it. Anyway. But Gander's generosity struck me. And it was a generosity that didn't look at what I have. Rather, it was a generosity that looked at the needs of their fellow human beings. It was a generosity that showed solidarity in spite of difference. It was a generosity that said, I will give abundantly rather than worry about scarcity. And as uh, we start this morning on a three-week series on generosity, this morning I'm going to explore generosity not in terms of that we should give more. That's not what it's about. I want to look through the lens of God's abundance and the abundant generosity towards us and how we as humans, what we do with that abundant generosity and how we should respond. 
So this morning, as we think about generosity, we're going to look at one thing that we can learn about the very nature of God. And we're also going to learn one thing about the very nature of us. Let me pray, and we'll get into the text. Our Lord, we pray this morning that you will open our, our ears, that we may hear, and our heart, that we may grow through your word. Um, may your word be edifying to all. Amen. So our text this morning is all about Jesus' view um, on our needs. From our text, we can see pretty clearly that Jesus' view is that he is the giver of all that we need, that God gives. The story that Luke adds before the, the parable that we just read is about a rich man. He stores up all his grains in storehouses. Then he does nothing with the life that he's given. I've got stuff, but I'm going to do nothing with it. And that story gives you the idea that, that within the kingdom of God, riches is a really tough thing. And you can see through Scripture, Jesus talks quite a lot about that. Then it comes to our text in verse 22. And in verse 22, it says, Therefore, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or about your body or what you will wear. So riches, they might purchase things, help us purchase things clothing and food and that sort of thing. But Jesus is telling us that actually it's not something that you should be worried about. Don't worry about these things. Has anyone ever worried about what they were going to wear to a, a, a formal or a dinner date or anything like that? What am I going to wear? <laughs> Isn't it amazing that we can have a, a, a wardrobe bursting with clothes and still worry about what we're going to wear? We find clothes that we're happy with. Isn't it amazing that we can have cupboards full of food but still feel like we've got nothing to eat? I mean, my boys say that all the time. There's nothing to eat. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean there's nothing to eat? <laughs> Man, maybe it's just me. Jesus says, why worry about it? For life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Is Jesus telling us to well, go on some sort of naked hunger strike? Don't worry about it. Don't need your clothes. Don't need the food. No, he's not telling that. Telling us to do that. But what about if your wardrobes are bare? You only have one or two things in them. What if the cupboards genuinely are bare? What if the reality is that you're not sure how to get a meal on the table? Or you can't feed the kids or keep them warm at night? Because there's people in our community that will have those realities. Or that you just just getting by. So we feel like we should say to Jesus, hey Jesus, it's great teaching, we understand it, but you have no idea of the situation of some people. You tell us not to worry, Jesus, but you don't really know my situation. You don't know the pressures that I'm under. And we feel like Jesus is preaching this, this theology that, yeah, don't worry, it's all going to be okay. Be stress-free, don't, don't stress about things. But when the financial stresses are very real in our lives and it starts to affect our relationship with our husband or wife or kids or it causes us to think differently about how we should solve problems and to, to maybe push the barriers of what right or wrong is, Jesus, I can't help but worry. But Jesus understands that. He totally understands that. He's speaking into a Jewish society that knew the pressures and burdens of financial 
social problems more than any of us. The Roman oppression of the Jews at that time was very, very real. The taxation system that was in place basically robbed many Jews of their ability to actually put food on the table, to put clothes on their kids. Jesus isn't being naive in what he's saying here. And it comes down to one thing. It comes down to anxiety. Jesus is speaking into a society that, that thinks of themselves as hard done by, of not having enough, a place where anxiety would have been very, very present. And he says, why worry? And he asks his readers, the people that are reading this letter, to consider two things. He says, uh, I wonder when you think, uh, if someone says, will you consider something? What, what do you do? I, I was thinking about this, like I'm reading through, and he asked us twice to consider two things. And I thought, when someone tells me to consider something, I sort of listen and then go, okay. But that's not consider, is it? Consider is having a thoughtful sort of moment about it, isn't it? So if, uh, an example, I want, you to, I want to offer you a job, but I want you to consider it. It will involve travel, it will take a toll on your family. You don't just go, oh, sweet, let's do it. I've heard you, you actually consider it. You, you, you go back, you talk to your, your family, is this something that we think is good for us? Is it something? And you consider it, you ponder it, you, you mull it over, don't you? So, so we've got Jesus here asking us to consider two things. We don't just sort of go, yes, that's what you're saying, Jesus. We said, he asked us to consider. He asked us to consider ravens. Ravens. He asked us to consider ravens. Consider the ravens. He asked us to consider wild flowers. Two fairly random things, aren't they? Consider the ravens. Consider the wild flowers. Uh, just where you are, just with the person next to you, I want you to, for, for one minute, just to consider the ravens and the wild flowers and talk about those considerations and see what comes up. Consider the ravens, consider the wild flowers. Do that with the person next to you just for a minute. I wonder what, what sort of things came up about ravens. Anything interesting? Anyone consider, consider some ravens? Some stories about a raven? Anyone being attacked by a raven? <laughs> apparently ravens, or we probably call them crows more so than... I think that there is a difference. But apparently they can remember your face, is what Jasper told me. They can remember a human face. So don't, don't cross a raven. Mm. Uh, what about wildflowers? Anyone have some interesting pondering considerations about wildflowers. Well, at least it's on your mind now. At least it's sitting on the top of your mind. So I pondered about these, and I pondered it in the light of a, an anxiety-less sort of system that, that Jesus is talking about. And so I thought about the ravens. And so when I think ravens, I think crows. And so I thought about the Adelaide crows and went, oh, they're in all sorts of strife. They need this word. <laughs> they are struggling. Everyone wants to get out of there. And so, so any, any Adelaide support? Jordan. You, you, yeah, Jordan. Yeah, there's a few. There's a few. Yeah, we've got a few, uh, few Adelaide supporters. Yeah, they're, they're struggling. And we'll be uh, praying for them because they need to hear this word. Um, but no, when I, when I actually thought about the actual 
bird, uh, the crows. And I saw, I saw a few crows this week. I started watching them. I started watching them. I figured that's considering. So I started watching them. And I watched one. It was standing alone in this puddle by the side of the road. It was just standing there. What are you doing? <laughs> What's the raven doing just standing in a puddle? It wasn't eating. It wasn't drinking. It was just standing in a puddle on its own. Cars going past. It's just, just standing there. Okay, fair enough. Didn't, didn't look stressed. That's for sure. Didn't like it had, looked like it had a whole lot of anxiety happening. <laughs> um, there was another lot that were, they were jumping around getting uh, whatever scraps of food they could find on the ground. Some roadkill. Um, just gathering it up, eating it, and then going to the next lot of roadkill and just eating it there. And so I bonded that thought. They're stressless. Didn't seem to have much stress. They just go from place to place and get the food that is right in front of them. They're scavengers, really, aren't they? They find food on the side of the road that's been hit by a car or feed off the dead carcasses in the, in the fields. They don't have much to be worried about. God's always providing dead animals for them. And they don't store up their roadkill in a barn. They just eat it, knowing that there's going to be another bit of food somewhere in the next few hours. There's this unending abundance of food for the raven. So it lives in that knowledge. It lives knowing they're not dumb birds. They can recognize human faces. It lives in the knowledge that there's always going to be something else. Wildflowers, what can they do? Nothing. They can't do anything. They just sit there in the field. They do absolutely nothing, but they sit there and they look beautiful. They're happy, I suppose. They're just sitting there. They don't have to do much. They haven't even done anything to get their own clothes on. They've just got their stuff on. That's just what they are. They didn't go down to Flowers R Us and choose a colour, and that's my colour. They just have it, and they're just beautiful. We have lilies in our yard, and I try to get rid of them because to give a little bit more room for the boys to play in. And so uh, I did what any good gardener would do to try and get rid of lilies. Got the lawnmower out and just mm, straight over the things. And um, <laughs> murderer. Um, <laughs> and, and somehow the lilies came back. And they're amazing. They look beautiful now. They're incredible. So if you want really good lilies, run them over with your lawnmower, apparently. It just works. It just, they just come up, don't they? It just happens. And they're just beautiful. And you know what Jesus is saying? He says that God looks after these scavengers. God looks after the flowers. Don't you reckon God's going to look after you as well? Because God is a God of abundance. Do we believe that? God is a God of abundance. And Jesus has good basis for saying this. Not just because he's the son of God, that helps. But he has good basis for saying this. Because Jesus grew up in a Jewish society. And he would have heard the Psalms being sung. He would have heard wisdom literature being shared and sung all the time. He would have grown up with all of this. His parents would have shared with him constantly as they've been told to share. So Jesus' worldview of the abundance of God actually would have come from what he heard in scriptures. Psalm 104. It's a psalm of praise from the psalmist, and in it, he's giving praise for the creation that God, who creates, is, and he gives thanks that this creation is good for all. In verses 1 to 9, if you've got your psalm there, you might want to, the Bible there, you might want to open it um, to Psalm 104. Verses 1 to 9 talk about God's creation of earth, the waters and the land, and how God created it, and why it is good. And then verse 10, he says, it makes, he makes, so he creates, he makes, 
He makes springs pour waters into the ravines, and it flows between the mountains. And what does that do in verse 11? They give water to all the beasts of the field. God provides. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. God provides. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. God provides. They sing amongst the branches. They give praise to God. God provides. The waters, the mountains from his upper chambers, the land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes, verse 14, he makes grass grow for the cattle. God provides. Brings plants for people to cultivate. God provides. Bringing forth food from the earth. God provides. Wine that gladdens human hearts. God provides. Oil to make their faces shine. There we go. That's a good one, isn't it? I'm going to put some oil on. <laughs> uh, bread that sustains their hearts. God provides. Because God has given all these things. It keeps going and keeps going. The trees of the Lord are well, well watered. The cedars of Lebanon he planted. You know, cedars of Lebanon. That's what my guitar's made of, the cedars of Lebanon. So I like that. The birds in the nest, uh, birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are for refuge for the hyrax. I don't know what a hyrax is. Some sort of animal. And he goes on to talk about the lions roaring and God giving him the food. The humans who gather from their labor, the sea teeming with creatures. God provides in abundance. And then he gets to verse 27 and verse 28. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. All creatures. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Not when I go and get it. When you open your hand. He's talking about the way, creation, the, the way of creation being an action of God's abundant generosity to, to all. The psalmist sees it differently to a, a human worldview because the psalmist's eyes, God made and everyone had enough. Everyone got enough. God opens his hands at the right time. The animals, the humans, everyone, they had enough. They were satisfied with the good things. God opens his hands at the right time, and they were satisfied with good things. Isn't that incredible? God's got this under control. He says, in my creation, there's enough. Everyone has enough. God is a God of absolute abundance. There is enough. See, Jesus talks about the ravens, and he talks about the flowers, and this is what he sees. He says, there's going to be enough. If there's enough for them, isn't there going to be enough for you? So for Jesus to tell us not to be anxious, to don't worry, to God provides, it stems from a teaching that takes us all the way back to creation. God made, God provides, and there's enough. And Jesus sees it that way. That God is hosting us at a continual banquet where there's enough for all to be at the table. Has anyone ever been to Niagara Falls? Yeah, a few people? Yeah. Is it, I haven't been, but I can just imagine it is just amazing just seeing the amount of water that falls over. Is that, is that right? Is it incredible? Like just the, the weight of water. I did some research. 3,160 tonnes of water flow over Niagara Falls every second. It's a lot of water. My question is, how does it keep flowing? Has, has someone's designed this system where it goes back under the ground and then back up again like we see in our fountains in, a, in our garden? Because that seems like a lot of water to go through all the time. 
It's unbelievable. How can it keep going? How does it keep going and going? Water just keeps on coming over the edge again and again. Water doesn't stop. It's not like they say, all right, let's turn it off now so that we can replenish the water tanks. It just keeps going. I think they can turn it off, actually. I think they have worked out how to turn it off. One day it did turn off. Anyway, um, don't think about that bit. But it's a, it's a pretty good picture of abundance, isn't it? That God provides and that it just keeps flowing over and over and over. It just keeps coming. Um, one scientist reckoned that in 23,000 years it'll stop flowing. So if you want to go see Niagara Falls, you should be safe. <laughs> but there's still a problem with this. Because we know it. We hear Jesus say it. We, we know it in our heads that God is our provider. That there is enough. We know it. But we have to ask some questions. Why is there still so much poverty? Why are there people starving? Why do I go through Melbourne and see people on the street with nothing? Why don't I feel like I've got everything I need? These are the questions that we're asking. And we're really asking God, do I really believe that you are a God of abundance? And that's the second point. So the first point is that God is a God of abundance. And the second point is the answer. Because humanity stands with a different worldview to God. See, humanity, we see things in scarcity. We look at things with a scarcity mindset. Let me help unpack that. Because if Jesus sees God as an abundance, an abundant, generous God, humanity approaches with an opposite understanding, that humanity lives in a space of scarcity that I just don't have enough. And a scarcity mindset takes us away from the planned abundance that God initially set out for us. A scarcity mindset goes, I don't have enough. I haven't got enough to get by God. I've not been provided for. I don't have the best shoes in the school. Or I don't have the new jeans that other, that other person has. So we think maybe we just don't have enough. Kyra is learning this at the moment, my four-year-old. She's learning about enough. And that's not just me saying that's enough. Uh, she's learning that as a four-year-old does, she's learned to, and her brother's a tortoise, to pout her lip and just do the little flicker of her eyelids. And she goes, Daddy, can I have a, lo- a lolly snake? And you go, oh, of course you come here. And you just get a gooey, and of course you can. You have a lolly snake. Go, you go, of course, you're so cute. Let's go, you go get a lolly snake. So she goes, she goes, and she goes, can I get one for my brothers? Yeah, you take one to your brothers. That's lovely. So she goes off, and they each have their lolly snakes. It's really good. Two minutes later, two minutes. I'm like, you can't have already finished the lolly snake. Two minutes later, she's back. Patting lip, daddy, can, can, can I have a lolly snake? Uh, no, you just had a lolly snake, dear. That's, that's, no, thank you. It's all right. But, Daddy, I want a lolly snake. No, no, it's, uh, you have too many lolly snakes. It's going to be bad for your teeth, you know, bad for your body. It's not good for you to have lots of lolly snakes. And I don't fall for the pounding lip a second time and say, no more sweets. And then she cries. <laughs> it's as if I've told her that her favourite Teddy's head's just fallen off or something. It's like, well, I just said no to a lolly snake. And I remind her that sugar and sweets aren't good. And her response is, but I want one. I want one. That's a normal four-year-old response. But I think herein lies the difference between abundance and scarcity. You see, scarcity always says, I want something more. I need something 
extra whether I really need it or not. Did Kyra need another lolly snake? Of course she didn't. Was I going to give her another lolly snake maybe in the next few days? Well, probably, if she asks nicely again and if she hasn't had lots of other sweets, maybe. But I knew what was better for her in that moment. I knew that having too many lolly snakes for her right now was bad. Having the whole bag of lolly snakes is not going to do her good. I've got an abundance of lolly snakes. I've got a whole bag, a big bag, but she doesn't need it right yet. I want another lolly snake, just a small example. But what about I need a bigger house because I don't fit all the stuff into my house, so I need a bigger one. That's Solari and me. We sit there going, it'd be great to have a bigger house. I'd love a bigger house. And we'll through that, oh, there's a house, it's bigger. It's got a backyard, it's lovely. We have lots of stuff and we've run out of places for our stuff, so the answer is I need a bigger house. That's my answer. It's a scarcity mindset. Total scarcity mindset. I don't have enough room, so I need something bigger. Our house isn't big enough. I say it out loud and go, oh, ugh, that's ridiculous. An abundance mindset says, God, thank you for the amazing house that I've got, that I've got a shelter for my kids, that I've got beds for my kids to sleep in. We should be gratefully eternal for what we have and for his provision. I don't need a bigger house. I've just got to get rid of some of the stuff that are in it because I've got way too much stuff. See, a scarcity mindset looks around and says, I don't have enough space. Everyone else seems to have more. Why are they more blessed than me? And I go towards that. Do Solara and I have an abundance? Of course we do. We've got two cars. Two cars. We've got two TVs. Yet I still pine about having a bigger one. Scarcity. That's my mindset. We have a cupboard full of food, yet the boys can't find the food that they like. Scarcity mindset. We've got a wardrobe that is bursting with clothing. We have a house that is beautiful and fits all of us in. We have plenty. In fact, we have abundantly more than we actually need, and we feel blessed. We don't need something bigger. We need to change our mindset. Maybe someday God will grant us a new house that is bigger. Who knows? But for now, I need to say, no, I don't care about that. Because God gave us something beautiful, and we're so grateful. You see, the problem in our human psyche with our scarcity mindset is it sees abundance, and we can't actually make sense of that abundance. We can't see it for abundance even. We see it as we still need something more. I got a, a video, it mightn't have sound, but that's all right. Um, it's about, who's seen Ice Age? You've seen the movie Ice Age? Yeah, a few of you have. If you've got kids, you've probably seen it. Um, and it's got this poor squirrel. Through the whole uh, sort of Ice Age thing, this squirrel is looking for uh, uh, nuts. And, and its name, is, it's got a name, it's called Scrack. And he's looking for nuts. And he finds this island. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this video played and we'll see if it, uh, if, even if it doesn't have sound, it doesn't really matter because it's a visual that helps. Oh, we did. Good job. Welcome, brother. 
Behold, Scrat Lampus. Rise above this base desire. Be more than a rodent. <laughs> so that's how, was it, is that America? I'm assuming that was America. That's how America was made. <laughs> uh, but you see, Scrat, Scrat? Scrat had abundantly more than he could ever possibly need, didn't he? He had so many acorns, so many, yet there was still the longing for that one more, that extra one. See, scarcity mindset it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't hold on to the abundance. A scarcity mindset misses that there is abundance sitting in front of you. A scarcity mindset misses that there is an abundance in front of you. It looks at a perceived lack. Jesus said, now, that's upside down. That's the wrong way around. He looks at the raven and he says, that doesn't get anything, yet it gets everything. I give it all I need. They don't like anything. They don't seem anxious for more. They just get on and do it. Look at the flowers. They're just clothed. Stop wanting. Allow me to be the abundant provider. If you've been on a cruise, you know, on a cruise, you pay up front for everything, and then you can just go and eat, and you eat, and eat, and drink, and eat, and drink. You can have whatever you want. So what you do on that first meal is you go, and you find the buffet, and you fill your plate ridiculously. As if this is the only meal you're ever going to have ever again. It's going to happen again at dinner time. So you get back to dinner and you go, oh, I'm pretty full for lunch. But hey, it's here. So I'm going to fill my plate as much as I can and get as many drinks as I can because I paid for it. So I'm going to get my abundance. And by day three, you go, going, I can't eat anymore. I feel sick. This is a ridiculous idea. I don't want to do this anymore. And why? Because it's like scrap. We think maybe it's going to run out. I think maybe the abundance won't actually last. Yet our scarcity mindset sort of kicks in and goes, what if it's not there tomorrow? 
We must get what we came for. Because if we go on with the buffet analogy, God's creation is a party held for all of us where God is the host of the party and he says, the food's just going to keep coming. The platters will just keep on coming out. But some of the party thinks, well, what if it runs out? What if the host isn't able to provide much more food? So they say, I'll take that platter of food for you. I'll take another. And they lock it up with them in a storeroom. And they don't eat it just in case. It might be there. No one has food out there. So I'll just hold on to it. It's a scarcity mindset. Yet Jesus says, no, you don't need to. You don't need to. I have abundance. The platters will just keep coming out for you. God is a God of abundance. Yet we have inherently a mindset of scarcity. So how do we respond to this? What do we do about that? What to start with? Jesus tells us to cultivate a mindset that we're hosted by a generous creator. See, in day-to-day life, rather than fear what is missing, embrace the abundance of what you have. If we went on in the text, in verse 32, it says, Do not be afraid, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, so don't be afraid. Can you imagine a king coming up to you and saying that? Hey, don't, don't worry, don't stress, I'm going to give you my kingdom. You can have anything in it. A bit like scrap. You can have anything in it. You can have anything in the garden. Don't touch that tree in the middle. You can have anything in it. Going back to the Genesis account, aren't we? I give abundantly. So don't be afraid of what might be, but rather be ready for what is. And so Jesus, in that, that text, it's up on the screen, he says, sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near or, and no moths destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You see, he's saying, if you have an abundant generosity mindset, possessions are not going to consume you. So give them to someone who really needs it. Give it to someone who's doing it tough. If you've got five sets of sheets and you've got one bed, maybe give two sets of sheets to a family who might be in need. I don't know. It could be something that simple. We've talked about being a blessing to others. Be a blessing to someone that's struggling with with a scarcity mindset. And in doing so, you actually, you are storing something up. That's what it says in these, these verses. You're storing something up. But not just food in case we have a run-out moment, but rather we're storing up a treasure that is so much greater an eternity with our Lord. It's not natural for us, but what I think you'll find is that when you, you'll find actually more joy and abundance out of, a, 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 out of being a generous person, out of giving abundantly to others. You'll find it more fulfilling in yourself than having that big TV or the latest trends. Because with an abundantly generous mindset, we live with a very different currency. It becomes a kingdom currency that will be stored up in purses that will not wear out. I love that verse. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. That's a kingdom purse. That's not storing our cash in. It's storing up what God's giving us. 
It's a currency that depends on the abundant generosity of God and a life of faith that lives in it. A currency that says, I will turn to be abundantly generous to others. I will be a blessing. And it may cost me something, but the kingdom outcome is invaluable. To close, Solari and I went on a date to the city. One of our date nights. We've been given a, a voucher for a posh restaurant that, um, was it George Columbaris? George Columbaris' restaurant um, in the city. And it was really it was amazing, amazing restaurant. I can't even remember what it's called. But it's an incredible restaurant. And we, we knew we were in trouble when we got to the, uh, the restaurant and they sat us down and said, there's no menu tonight. So our, uh, our uh, expert chefs have uh, created a menu just for you. Okay. Uh, can we see the price? <laughs> no prices. It's like, okay, we'll just wait for the food to come out. So we're sitting there and the food starts coming out. And it was incredible. The food was amazing. It was a theater of food. Things that I'd never heard of were eating. Things that I didn't like, we're eating. <laughs> Things that you shouldn't go in your mouth, we're eating. Amazing. Things that were deconstructed. I was about to say keep decomposed. Deconstructed. <laughs> Might have been decomposed. It's that amazing. Um, at the end, the last course uh, after we'd had our coffee was a, a, a game. And it had a meaning to the, to the chef. It was backgammon. And he said, you play this game of backgammon and then you eat it. The little chips were made of backgammon. The dice, uh, chips were made of chocolate. The dice was made of chocolate. Um, so we played the game, and then we ate the chocolate. It was, it was amazing. So after giving this generous voucher, we thought this is a very generous voucher. Thank you. And so we gave it across, thinking maybe, maybe a little bit more. It cost us so much money. <laughs> I was like, oh my word! I have never been to a place and spent that much money at one time. Oh my goodness! It was fun. But you know what the reality of that night was? 24 hours later, it had all gone. Like, literally. <laughs> it was done. It was done. Well, <laughs> it's money. It comes and goes. It's important because it's the currency that we use in this world here for the time and age. Yet the currency of the kingdom of God is a currency of abundant generosity. And and it's what God shows the ravens, what God shows the flowers of the field. It's what God shows each and every one of us. And it's a currency unlike that meal that just comes and goes. It's a lasting currency that makes an impact with the lives of the people that you rub shoulders with. People are, are touched by generous abundance, abundant generosity. So transform our mindset. Change ideals. Think about, go home today and think about, well, what, what is it that maybe I need to do about this? How do I look around my house and go, wow, I've got abundantly. Maybe it's just a matter, a matter of saying thanks to God. But maybe you're being challenged to do something about it. Let's become an abundantly generous community because verse 34 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your word, a word that challenges a word that provokes, I suppose, um, a response. And we pray that this morning that as we are challenged to think about our mindset when it comes to abundance and when it comes to generosity, may you just help us to know how to respond. 
May it not be something that's just words on a Sunday morning and then goes out the window, but may it be the, 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 the lifeblood of our, our who we are, these, these words of Scripture. May it transform our lives that we may be abundantly generous.